0: Is just a toy story or a four in a box? These are the stories of action, toy glory, and we H clocking. you Figuarts, Black Series, or Hot Toys. figures with transformation sequences that make noise. Check out the joints and the many points of articulation. We're celebrating the global collector nation. Sit back, relax, and get ready to rock this. Here's the
1: real Chow. Welcome to self Conscious. I am your host, Keith Chow. On this week's episode, I get to talk to legendary G.I. Joe creator, Larry Hama. we get into it about his origins as the creator of the G.I. Joe universe in the comics and the creation of the file card as well as his opinions on the new G.I. Joe movie, Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins. It's a great conversation, so sit back and check out my interview with Larry Hummer. I I do a show now called Shelf Conscious where I talk about my love of toys, and I wanted to just speak with you, since you know I've I've told you this so many times in the past, but like your run on the Gejo comics, but also in the Gejo file cards, was so uh, foundational <laughs> for me. And now with Snake Eyes coming out, I, I just wanted to take a few minutes of your time to kind of just talk about like one, you know, kind of reflecting back on what it's been almost what forty five years since. That first, the first time, it's that long? It's eight, 81, I started 81, 82, 81. So 40 years, 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I started,
0: I did the work in 81. Didn't come out till 82.
1: Right. No. I wanted to flash back to that period in 81 when I know that you've told the story many times where like essentially every editor at Marvel passed on the job <laughs> until. Every until, writer. <laughs> you
0: know, yeah. I mean, and then they, they asked all the writers first and then, then they asked all the editors, the assistant editors, and no, nobody wanted to do it.
1: Why do you think that was? Do you think people were just like, G.I. Joe, isn't that like my dad's toys? Why, why would I want to write about them? Or what was it about? The, it was, I didn't even want to do a toy story.
0: It was all about the Benjamins. Yeah. There you go. Toy license books, the, uh, the licensing feed to the owner of the copyright came off the top of the page rate. Oh. So it was the lowest rate. At any of the companies. So, you know, no A list artist or writer would deign to work on a licensed book. That's why most of the licensed books are really crappy. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, because you got the C list people or the hacks.
1: Mm. We're just like knocking it out. So, why did you decide to take it if everyone else passed on it?
0: Because there was a huge prejudice against artists writing. And I'd go into every single editor at Marvel, and not a one would give me a writing writing gig.
1: Because you had wanted to do a similar like type story, like before GI Joe even came out, right? Weren't you working yeah, on something? Was,
0: I, I posted as, as an editorial project. I, I wasn't pitching it for me to write. Right, I right. Wanted to write it, but I knew I it, I couldn't. I mean I it was so bad that I got special dispensation from Jim Shooter to write for other comic book companies (laughs) while I was an editor at Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) So my first semi-regular writing gig was at Warren while I was an editor at Marvel writing The the Young Master Samurai, a strip that Val Mayer drew in Eerie magazine uh, for Wheezy, uh, Louise well, Jones at the time but like Louise Simonson now. And, you know, so when this, this, you know, the G.I. Joe's, you know, the thing came around, I I, I jumped on it because, you know, I, there was no other way to me get writing work.
1: Right. And so was the deal always like you're not only writing the tie-in, but you also get to have say in who these characters are because, you know, you famously wrote the file cards that, that – provided the background for who these characters were, right? So, like, was that always part of the deal? And and if so, like, I to me, I would feel like, I don't who, who has the foresight in 1981, but, like, this is your opportunity to kind of, like, build a universe from scratch, right?
0: Well, no. But, well, the, the thing was I, I wrote what I call I call them dossiers.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: <laughs> and the main reason I, I, I started doing them was because I knew, you know, there were ten characters to start, or just Joes, and then there were, like, five Cobras, and, and they said, well, if it goes to another year, they're going to have like, you know, 10 more. And I thought, wow, ah, 25 characters. Is, <laughs> you know, that, that's more than the Avengers, and everybody's bitching about, you know, trying to keep track of, you know. Those characters, I thought, thought, I better really write down, you know, who's who, and what they do, and you know, as a guideline for myself. You know. So I, I wrote them like, like they were military two hundred one files. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and that's I think what was the appeal of them actually, right? Like I remember as a kid just seeing the file card. It, it did read like you were flipping yeah. through someone's like CIA file, right? And well, you
0: know, in the originals, I even had like psychiatric psychi- yeah. CIA profiles, right? Right. Also had peer assessment profiles written by other Joes in their vo- on the voices. Yeah, yeah. So that really helped me define who these characters were because once you start like digging into like what you know steeler thinks about scarlet right <laughs> that, that really solidifies the characters
1: but the, that was always the appeal of someone like snake eyes right because like when you went through his dossier and everything's like classified you were just like holy shit! how awesome is this guy and <laughs> there's nothing about him
0: <laughs> it was really from my own personal reference and then I, I think it was Kirk Buzigan. He was one of the heads of the Boys Toys. Where he, you know, he I think he had the GI Joe thing going for the time. And he came to the office and he saw these on my desk. And he said, "Holy shit! You know, we, we should put these on the package." Wow! And that was the first time it was ever done. Yeah, yeah. And since then, it's become, um, you know, an industry standard. You know, it's. You know, can't have an action
1: figure without a file card on the back, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> that was actually my question. It was like whose idea it was And I guess that's that's the answer, right? He, the Hasbro walked in and saw it, and it wasn't like they envisioned their card back to be a file of the no, character no, until no. they saw it on your desk. That's awesome. That's amazing, actually, because again, it's such a it's it's like to your point, it's tropey now, right? That you have to have like all of the personal details of the your, of your character on the back of the back of the toy, but. Again, it was it was something about the authenticity of it too, right? Like it felt like you were reading someone's personal file and doing so, you know, gave a sense of like credibility to like, these aren't just like colorful toys. These are like basically like real soldiers that you're, that you've captured in plastic somehow.
0: Well, it was also like a dual purpose because after the first year, the, the boys toys, people found out that the, the salesmen were using, they, they, they said- this was the best sales tool they ever came across. All they had to do was go to like KBs
1: or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you listening, that was a toy store when we used to have toy stores.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, KBs or, um, you know, Toys R Us or whatever. And and <laughs> just, he'd read the file cards <laughs> that, was, that would like clinch the sale so the salespeople. You know, went back to Hasbro and said, "Like we, you know, do 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 more of these."
1: You know, I mean, I'm surprised it has, and maybe it hasn't. I just miss it. I'm surprised there isn't like a coffee table book of literally all of the file cards in one book because I think that, and you know, I'm, I guess IDW has a publishing license. That's a there's an idea for you guys. We, well, need, a, we need a coffee table book of all the file uh, cards.
0: There is a you know, there's all these books being published. I think there is a book
1: that's. Uh... Oh really? That's just the file cards. Oh, wait, look at that. Is that a – can that be shown on camera? Is that is that top secret?
0: <laughs> no, I don't even know if this is legal. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of the internet, I guess, right? Yeah, but somebody just like, you know, collected all of these. Yeah.
1: And, uh, oh, yeah. There are definitely like web archives of all of them. There, there's yojo.com that's like the most comprehensive archive of three and three-quarter G.I. Joe figures on the internet. Yeah. So. You know, it's it's so great that folks have time to do shit like this, though, right? <laughs> well,
0: you know, but I'm lucky that you know people said send me <laughs> this stuff because uh, otherwise I wouldn't be able to keep track of it.
1: You know, and I have to admit, like I'm a I'm a big fan of the new line of classified figures, which are the six inch versions of the real American heroes, and uh, they don't have the file card. There's like a like some newfangled kind of like. QR code, I think, or you scan it and find the the information online, but it, it doesn't feel the same as the the old school uh, dossiers, I have to admit. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to ask you, like, you know, before, you're so synonymous with G.I. Joe and action figures, but like before 1982, were you, did you even consider yourself like a toy guy? Like, were you, did you, did you, because and, and toys back in the 70s and 80s are very different animal than they are now you know what was your impression of like the toys themselves at the time
0: well you know i actually created bucky o'hare way before that's right i did gi joe and you know we conceptualized bucky o'hare in all the iterations at the same time we just didn't think of it as a graphic novel Mm -hmm. we thought this is a storyboards for the animated movie
1: right you know the multimedia before it was a phrase, right? <laughs> right? And you know, if you look, you know, he has like
0: three millimeter holes in the yeah. bottom of, of his feet, and and instead of holsters, they have these uh, three millimeter plugs on the belts, and all the the weapons have three millimeter holes. So you them. can peg
1: them into the belt, right? Right. So this is
0: the design of. The comic character. There was no compromise between what was drawn, you know, and what was what could be produced as a toy. Right, that right. Was deliberate. So you know, because you know, even as a kid, I, I remember thinking, you know, I'd get I'd get a toy or something, and it was like, what? <laughs> that's not what it looked like on the in the advertisement. That's not what it's supposed to look like. <laughs> <laughs> And I wanted there to be no difference.
1: Right. You know? Is that an actually, like, how old is that figure you just held up? This is one of the original Hasbro figures. This is not
0: a boss fight.
1: Wow. So and, that, that's got to be, what, 19? 19... Well, this is the 80s. I yeah. Mean, the
0: thing is, I
1: created it in the 70s, but it didn't.
0: It took, like, over 10 years to get it. Off its you know, off its feet. I mean
1: it looks pretty good for a forty year old toy, I gotta say. <laughs> you kept it in good shape, Larry. I'm sure you could get a
0: No, it's not, you know, it's, it's just <laughs> I don't I don't I don't play
1: with it. <laughs> <laughs> Truth be told. None of your fans play with their toys either, right? They, 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 do, they do what I do. They just stick them on shelves. And oh, uh, I don't even
0: put them in, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't own a single comic book bag. You know, I mean, I, but I still have comics I bought, you know, over 70 years, uh, you know, like 60 years ago. Right. You know, I, I've got comics, you know, I've got Uncle Scrooge. Yeah. Comics that, that I bought when I was a kid.
1: And I'm sure you don't bag and board them, right? Like, that's the... Oh, they're, they're,
0: you know, they're, like, in tatters, but I still have them.
1: So... You know, I wanted to ask you about, since we're, you know, G.I. Joe has, has, speaking of multimedia, it was a comic book, it was an animated series, of course, action figures. Now it's been a series of live action films, and you've seen the first two, and you, you've you had some close encounters with this new one, Snake Eyes, coming out later this year in, in July, starring Henry Golding and Andrew Koji. Can you talk about, like, the evolution of the live action versions? Because to your point, any time you adapt Something from one medium to another, something gets lost in translation, and that can be said about the first two Joe movies. But what what was your impression of this incarnation, especially the controversially for some people going into like the backstory of Snake Eyes himself? Well, and whatever you can and can't say, I understand. I'm sure there are NDAs
0: in effect. <laughs> well, first of all, you know it's it deviates from from being the GI Joe movie, you know as it you know it as the same way that the, the later Wolverine movies deviated from being X-Men movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, they made all these X-Men movies, and after a while, people started figuring out, well, you know, maybe people aren't all that interested in this guy with the beams coming out of his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as they, as they are in the guy with the adamantium claws. You know? <laughs> and, you know, but they, they could all, all they had to do was, was go down the hall to the Marvel licensing room and realize that, oh, geez, we got, like, you know, 120 Wolverine licenses <laughs> you know, bugs and plates and 40 masks and everything, you know, and, you know, not much of anything else from the other guys.
1: Yeah, not a lot of Cyclops toys floating around. But yeah,
0: but, you know, they're not, most of those other characters wouldn't sustain a standalone movie. Would you go to see a, a, a Cyclops standalone movie?
1: Truth be told, not really. <laughs> yeah,
0: so, it, it, but with GI Joe, we were saying, "Oh well, you know, it's like you know, he's supposed to be this and this and blah 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 in the history." And I'm saying, you know, if you followed that original continuity, he, you know, the character would be like, you know, this 73 years old, <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and these things have to evolve, right? You know, and you just can't get stuck in that. You know, if you know, if Batman, you know, was the way that, you know, he was originally conceived, you know, I mean, you wouldn't be able to get the Dark Knight Rises or the Joker or anything like that.
1: Right. And all, all indelible comic book characters and superheroes have to have that, like, you know, retcon in yeah. order to keep up with the times, right? Because to your point, Superman would, would be set in the 1930s if it was right. true to the original. The-
0: all of G.I. Joe is retcon. You know, I, I mean, I, I never had a long, uh, long game plan.
1: Right. You famously make it up as you go along.
0: Yeah, I just literally make it up as I go along, you know, page by page. Because what what the core of it is that it, it's totally character-centric, you know, the, and the file cards was the root of that. Right. I, I concentrate on nailing these characters and making the characters stand up and walk around you know and they 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 eat and they fart
1: right they're real people
0: you know they become real uh, a lot because a lot of the character traits are based on people i actually know right so i have a real life reference point you know so that i it's harder for me to veer off course
1: you know yeah
0: you know if you if you write stories on a template it's based on story structure. You know, it's like, you know, in Hollywood, they used to have script readers. <laughs> and, you, know, you know what script readers are?
1: And they, <laughs> they, they come in and they tell you, right, right.
0: <laughs> no, they, you know, because each producer has, st- you know, stacks and stacks of unread scripts. And and these girls, you know, fresh out of college who, like, read all of them. And then they make, you know, smaller stacks. Right, right. Might you know. And... The parameters they're given, you know, they have like a sheet of parameters. They were like, you know, does it have three acts? (laughs) Does it fit this formula? Right. Yeah. Can I follow the character arcs? Blah, 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 blah. But nowhere on those sheets does it say, "Hmm, do I like any of these people? (laughs) (laughs) Do, Do I care what happens to these people? You know? And three, would I want to hang out with these people? Right, <laughs> okay. and and that's where something like Harry Potter gets it right.
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Make the make the characters real people that that readers or viewers want to be around. Right, and that's what get, gets them coming and back. The fact
0: is that if you ask somebody what the plot is of any given Harry Potter movie, they're like.
1: <laughs> it doesn't matter it doesn't matter Oh, and then speaking of like yeah. the humanity of the characters I think the you know the elephant in the room about the Snake Eyes movie is something you and I have talked about several times over the years that we've known each other which which is real quick almost 20 years that you and I have known each other which is crazy but you know I've always wanted an Asian American Snake Eyes yeah. and you know the the beauty of like reimagining an adaptation is that you can you can get that without having to you know the, right. the, the beauty of retcon is that no one's going back and destroying your old Has, Hasbro figures or Marvel right. comics, right? Like, they still exist. But but this film can give me what I've always wanted, it's ever since I was a five-year-old child, playing with right. my Snake Eyes toys.
0: Well, that's what, you know, I, I mean, I remember uh, 15 years ago, maybe, I was a guest at, at San Diego, and I was doing uh, a G.I. Joe panel or something with all these guys from Hasbro and every place else. And some Asian kid way in the back stands up. <laughs> he says, "So how come the, the most badass ninja in the world, <laughs> some white guy?" <laughs> yeah. And I went, "Well, you know, basically because that's what I had. You know, I was you know, in the first set. I was given ten characters, and one of them was a commando. And I thought, oh, well, how, you know, so he, Snake Eyes, didn't become a ninja." Right, until they introduced Storm Shadow. Right, you know, who is the first Asian character, and I looked at the character and I said, "He's the only Asian character in the GI Joe universe, and he's a bad guy."
1: <laughs> right, right. So
0: you know, so what can I do to alleviate this without you know rocking the boat? And I said, "Okay, well, over the course of the next year, I'm going to change him to a good guy. <laughs> and and not tell anybody else that." I'm doing it. <laughs>
1: which i've said so many times on the nerds of color like how formative that arc was for me because i think similarly seeing storm shadow and and i think what folks forget who only know the cartoon or only know the movies and didn't read the comics is that storm shadow wasn't just japanese he was a japanese american right right? he was tommy i think he's from san jose yeah well, I think I think I, I thought it was Fresno, but it, it could be no, Fresno. Was like <laughs> but Ox you know, <laughs> but but you know, but he wasn't. A... dentist
0: from the uh, from, from the Anthem Man is from Oxnard.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. But you know, but that's that that gets lost in translation. Speaking of right, when you oh, yeah. when you have like him, he speaks oh, like a decent the cartoon and whatever, <laughs> right? But like, but his arc from being like Snake Eyes sworn enemy to learning who really killed the Blind Master to becoming a hero and in his own right, you know, and then an anti-hero and all that's stuff is just all those layers oh, yeah. and levels to an asian american character like you can't you can't underestimate how that what that means well, so, to people you know,
0: here's the thing is that to be storm shadow should actually sound like my cousin randy <laughs> who you know was born and raised in sacramento california yeah. you know went to work for the pg and e as a lineman right climbing telephone poles. yeah <laughs> Uh, who who owned a pickup truck with a gun rack and a bass <laughs> boat. Right. He wore, like, Tony Llama boots and, and chewed tobacco.
1: <laughs> See, that's the Storm Shadow movie I'd want to watch. <laughs> you know, that's that's where he comes from. But And, the, you know, and that's the thing about, this is something, I don't know if you read my interview with Henry, like, that's something we talked about, this notion that, like, Asian Americans can't also be American or, like, fish out of waters because like that's the excuse always for like why snake eyes should be white or iron fish should be white or all the, yeah, whatever see, that's, you know it's so reductionist
0: well, here's, here's something that that, that always struck me from a long time ago you know I was in the army with a guy a Chinese guy from Texas was born and raised in Texas right? he was you know looked totally Chinese spoke with this deep Texas drawl. <laughs> You know, his body language, everything about it, his cultural roots was Texas. Ergo, everybody called him Tex.
1: Nice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, we talk about some bizarre disconnect. Right, right, know, right, right. No, of course. That, that's how people related to him. Yeah. And the way you speak really determines I mean that's how humans are hardwired. To judge who's in my tribe
1: (laughs) exactly right and that's the but that's my whole project for I have a whole other podcast where I interview other Asians from the south because I'm from Virginia and a rural part of Virginia it's the same it's that same cognitive dissonance where like you know you have this thick country accent or whatever but you have this face and and people can't deal with that and even just being Asian even if you're not from the south like if you're Asian American and you go to Japan it's not like everyone's like welcoming you with like open arms. You know what I mean. So this notion well, yeah, that like Henry, the
0: thing that people don't seem to understand is that you know your body language says a lot. You know, yeah. You go to you go to Japan or China, and people know even if they look at your face that you're not from there, right? Because, because you don't have the body language,
1: and I almost feel like that gives so much more depth and nuance to that fish out of water story, which Henry and I talked about. That you know, for someone who looks like Henry Golding, and, and to be fair, no one looks like Henry Golding. That is a very handsome man. It's it's almost a shame that he's going to have to be covered in a mask for the rest of his film career. But to go to Japan and, and be with the Irish Shikaga clan just because he's not white doesn't mean that the Irish Shikaga clan's going to be like. You know, we welcome you with open arms. And that's that's the nuance that I think casting Henry brings to the Snake Eyes character that I've always imagined was there to begin with as a fan for four years. I was years. really
0: impressed with what I saw. They, they flew me out to this set in Vancouver. Yeah. And I, and I did my cameo there and um, got to meet Henry and got to meet the, the uh, everybody else, including the, uh, the fight coordinator. Right. It was amazing, you know. He's like one of the top fight coordinators in Japan.
1: And they you know, taught he, them how to use katanas and
0: yeah he did the Rory Kenshin series. Oh wow which, which is like amazing <laughs> And so that's the level of martial arts. That people are going to see in this movie,
1: and I and I don't want to. And Andrew Koji as Storm Shadow. I mean, I I fan cast that guy like years ago to play Storm Shadow because well, it's nice to have a Japanese actor finally play Storm Shadow. No shade to <laughs> Mister Byung Hun Lee from the first two GI Joe movies, but it's so nice to have a Japanese actor playing him. I kind of wish he was playing him more American, but that's a whole other. Like like to your point, I wish he his accent was a uh, the accent he uses on Warrior for what it's worth. But just Andrew as Storm Shadow and and as Tommy. And and Henry a snake. I'm, I'm Larry. You got you can't you can't know how happy I was when I saw the casting and that this movie is coming out. So it's it's a thing I've been pestering you about for 20 years and it's finally come to fruition. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, when when I first heard about it, I had misgivings.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. And what brought you
0: around, though? Well, just seeing it, mm-hmm. you know, seeing what was being done and, and and reading the script and how they handled it and and, and all of that. You know, when they hired me as an consultant for the first one, you know they they actually had written in the scene at the end where, where Snake Eyes talks. <laughs> well, they
1: did have a mouth on the mask for some reason. <laughs> and,
0: and, and, you know, my first note to the production company was like, Snake Eyes can't speak.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You'd think they'd know but that and, before they took and the and license. Said, oh, yeah! Isn't that this is the great part?
0: You know, he can't talk, and at the end of the movie. He talks! Isn't that right? I said, but he can't talk. <laughs> I said, it's not like he took a vow of silence.
1: He physically can't. Like he's so, missing the uh, vocal yeah, cords yeah, yeah, there. Right.
0: <laughs> that's when I decided that if I was going to be the consultant to this, this movie, I didn't care about any of the other stuff from that point on. I said, you know, the, the other stuff is minor. I would just make it a point to every day say, "Snake Eyes can't." <laughs> you have to prioritize. You have to, you know, have a Well,
1: we've come full circle though. Ten years later, we're we're getting not only a talking Snake Eyes, but a full, full full face to Snake Eyes. But you know, I think what people forget this is, you know, even the Snake in the comics, he had a life before he was Snake Eyes, and I think right. that's yeah. what this movie is getting at. And I'm glad you brought up the Wolverine comparison because I take you know I, I use that comparison too because for decades Wolverine had the background nobody knew right. about until he did until they gave him a name and a history and 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 he hasn't suffered for it right he's still as popular as ever and I think yeah. seeing what what was behind the the redacted dossier is terribly exciting for me so. Congratulations, Larry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, very, I'm very happy. I'm very happy for myself. I don't know why I'm congratulating you anyway. Well, Larry, I'm I'm so thankful that we were able to work this out and, and allow you to talk about, you know, working on this and and, and you know, your history with Bucky O'Hare is, is fascinating. I'm I'm so it's so cool to see the figure in your hand thirty years later. So okay. I I know you don't have a big internet presence, but is there anything that you want to plug that's coming up? I know there's some stuff you're working on. Is there anything that you want our listeners and viewers to to be uh, kept aware of in the coming months
0: well i've been doing this six part iron fist Marvel, and then i've got some x-men Legends stories I mean, i'm doing a patch story oh wow
1: cool you know, wolverine and magic board and larry hama doing wolverine that's everyone can't get enough larry hama wolverine stories though so. well he's the you know the old Wolverine,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh i've got you know a bunch of projects i can't talk about sure but keeping busy
1: yeah you don't miss the convention circuit do you no not really <laughs> i mean, i i like being at
0: the conventions right <laughs> getting to and from <laughs> get, getting to and from that's the hassle. <laughs>
1: and,
0: and after covid boy you know my, my doctor said don't get on a plane right
1: <laughs> exactly but, well and thank God two, for
0: Zoom, right? <laughs> two weeks after my doctor told me don't get on a plane, he died from
1: COVID. Oh no. Yeah. Oh so wow. Sort of like hammered home the point. Yeah. <laughs> so literally thank God for Zoom, I guess. Yeah. Well, Larry, it's, as always, it's been a pleasure. Um, I, I can't thank you enough for, for all the work that you've done and you continue to do and, and what your work has meant to me. Uh, I say this every time, and I'm sure you you get tired of me gushing every time we talk, but it's been such a pleasure and for you to bless this podcast with your presence. So thanks so much, Larry. Okay. Big thanks to Larry Hama for being on Shelf Conscious. You can follow me on Twitter at TheRealChow, the underscore real underscore Chow. And follow the podcast at ShelfConNOC. Also go to hardknockmedia.com to find us and all of the podcasts in the Hard Knock family. Subscribe on youtube.com slash the names of color for the video and Apple Podcasts for the podcast. Give us a rating and a review if you do. That'll help people find the podcast. And thanks to everyone who's discovered this podcast. Appreciate all the support. And always remember, Shelf Conscious is where we come collect.